This is The Guardian. Today, when Kherson is liberated by Ukrainian forces, what does it mean for Vladimir Saldo? The final part of our mini-series on Ukraine's gangster governor. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Before we start, just a warning, this episode contains descriptions of torture and violence. The announcement came as a surprise. Eight months after Russian troops had taken Kherson, a Russian general stood on state television in front of a map. And declared Russian forces were withdrawing from the city of Kherson. And just like that, Tens of thousands of Russian forces occupying the city were gone. At first, the Ukrainian army held back, cautiously, like this was some kind of trap. Ukrainian forces are yet to enter the provincial capital since the Russians announced on Wednesday they'd be withdrawing. But after a few days, there they were, the liberators of Kherson. Tonight, euphoria in Kherson, a major Ukrainian city now free from Russian rule. For the city's residents, this was the end of months of brutal Russian occupation. Hugely emotional scenes here in the centre of Kherson. The military are driving through, they're playing the national anthem, and people are just running out. Uh, Tears in their eyes. This soldier rushing to his grandma down on her knees, reunited after months apart. But not everybody was celebrating. He'd risen and fallen and then risen again. But when Ukrainian troops poured into the city that he ruled in Russia's name, what happened next to Vladimir Seldo? From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, Saldo, Ukraine's gangster governor. Part three. Tom Burgess, you're an investigations correspondent for The Guardian. You've been telling us this story over the past couple of days. As of November 2022, the West Bank of the region of Kherson was free. It had been liberated by the Ukrainian army. Where did that leave Vladimir Saldo? So Saldo and the collaborationist government, they evacuate over the river to the far side, to the eastern side, the Russian side. He had lost control of the western half of Kherson province. But although that means he's lost control of the city, Kherson city, it leaves him in control of a huge swathe of southern Ukraine that runs towards Crimea and it forms part of the land bridge, what's called the land bridge that the Russians formed through their invasion between mainland Russia and 
Крамея. Переживаем, думаем, чем можем помочь, что должны сделать. Доброе утро. Ну, для начала скажу, что жизнь продолжается. They call on Ukrainians to come with them, to stay out of the grip of these fascists in Kiev and their warmongering Western backers. And Salda goes on Russian state TV with this message. Организационные действия, которые нужны от нас, от правительства и... The Russian retreats revealing a trail of destruction. There's no power, and there are queues like this everywhere for water. This is the TV tower which they blew up as they left, cutting telephone services and the internet. What do we know about those last chaotic days of the occupation of, of at least half of Kherson? So in those last days, what you see is the Russians grabbing anything they can. Those troops looted homes and businesses throughout the city, and they emptied one of Ukraine's most precious art museums. Russian soldiers turned up in trucks and stole the most valuable paintings, icons and sculptures. So that's anything from the bones of the city's founder to a raccoon from the zoo. They took a raccoon? They took a raccoon, yeah. Actually, there was a moment later when that raccoon went on television. Salda talks to the troops and then he goes to stroke the raccoon and the raccoon bites him. It sounds like, Tom, they left in a rush, in panic. As you often see when an occupying force is pushed out or withdraws, something of the truth about that occupation is revealed. And what you saw with the Russian withdrawal from Kherson city and from the the, the western bank of the region... Everywhere there'd been theft, looting, plundering, at every level. And you remember Andriy Kavalenka, we, we spoke about him before, the prosecutor in Kherson City who is in charge of the huge task of trying to document war crimes. What he really explained to me was how often what's driving some of the worst parts of the occupation is not some grand military strategy how people can get rich, how people can make money. And that goes from the top all the way down to the torture chambers. So they kept, they detained people there from a couple of days until a couple of months. They organized a scheme. They called to their relatives and say, so your guy is detained Give me the money, pay me the money, and we will let him uh, out. So what, what can I add? So despite they called themselves members of Russian world, normally they liked to take money by uh, in dollars, in US dollars. <laughs> this is what can I say about all of their ideology of yeah. Russian world. So Tom, for me that raises the question, like, what is at the heart of this occupation? Is it about trying to impose Russianness on these people? Or is it just a way to make money? So what you end up with is a brutal regime. Yeah, horrific surveillance, torture and so on. That's ostensibly serving a grand military purpose or the expansion of Ruski Mir of the, the, you know, the Russian world. But actually in practice, a lot of the time, is about people making money in, in, in corrupt ways. 
There was a case I came across that really, really brought that home, and that's what happened to Andrian Kablenka. Big, stocky farm owner from her son, now in exile in Romania. I spoke to him down a line using, as ever, Kostya, the, our great translator. So we had a farm, farm, and we grew grains, mostly, mostly grain. So we spoke for quite a long time. You could see that what he had been through weighed on him. You know, he was taking medication to help with that. But he still did fondly remember that that farm, you know, 500 hectares and this big irrigated operation, right? So it's very close to the Dnipro River, the river that bisects her son region and it's a, it's a family business it has 10 employees a, a, as well yeah. it, so yeah it was a profit about $100,000 per year one day I think in September 2022 you had a visit from from some Russians is that right? It happened a lot of times. Guys from a local administration visited me. And so what happened to his farm? So it seemed as though these visitors, they wanted different things on different days. Sometimes they wanted him to re-register his farm. Lots of people were being forced to do that, to take Russian corporate registration. Sometimes he felt like he was being pressured to sell it, but they obviously wanted something from him. They told Andrea, you need to change your documents, IDs on your farm, yeah? You need to re-registrate your farm on the, according to the Russian uh, legislation like that. If you don't do that, you'll disappear. In September, Russians called me and they told me, you need to come, we need to talk about some issues yeah it was a building ex-ukrainian uh, governmental building of the land uh, resources this is one of the government buildings a dozen or so that vladimir saldo's collaborationist regime has given over to this new organization the, the gsb the herson version of essentially putin's secret police what happened next <laughs> They questioned me since uh, 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. They put a bag on his uh, head and uh, detained him uh, to the cellar. You, You can understand what I felt at that moment when I was sitting with the bag on my head in the cellar. Of course, they beat me. And uh, they shoot close to my uh, head from the gun. I didn't think anything at that moment. All that I did, I just worried for my family. Could you tell me about that thought? Okay. 
Больно и страшно было. Что объяснять? Как объяснять? One or two days to think, and then to tell us what are you ready to do with your farms. What can you offer? So, as Andrian tells it, though, there's another younger member of the security forces who takes pity on him, possibly, and 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 warns him when he gets released. The FSB guy, he told me. You have only three days to escape. Take all your family and go out from this uh, territory. So Andrian insists that he never formally signed over his farm. He says what happened is that he was given a basically a blank piece of paper to sign that could then be taken away and the details filled in later that would authorize the transfer of his farm. And he says that it's now owned by members of the of Salah's regime. Hmm. Tom, how could something like that happen and no one face any kind of justice for it? When I met Andre, the prosecutor, I asked him about what's called a notice of suspicion. So it's a formal legal document laying out criminal allegations. Um... And the one I was asking him about was referred to this case of the theft of this farm. It was a fact. Saldo gave an order to grab this farmer uh, just to, to take his business. Yes, but as I read, so I read the notice. Yes, yes. It looks like Saldo gave an order that the farmer should be tortured to make him give over the business. Is that what happened? I'm not allowed to say about details. So Tom, you're saying that this guy was tortured. He was forced to give up his farm. And he finds now that officials suspect all of that was done on the orders of Seldo. All roads here lead to Seldo. That's what the prosecutors allege, yeah. You said that Seldo was driven above all by power, but ultimately using that power to make money. Is he making money off this occupation? Right, so in Hersana I heard about all these scams and these schemes in which Seldo is accused of, yes, profiting from the occupation, there's one that involves him and his contacts getting hold of a stash of banknotes that the Ukrainians had tried unsuccessfully to destroy as the Russian forces first approached. And then there's the big one. So the, the very first time I heard Saldo's name from that contact I spoke to in the, in, the, in the bar at the bottom of the Guardian building... Where this whole story started. Where this whole story started. That was in connection with... Ukraine's biggest, most lucrative industry, and that's the grain industry. Now, since Saldo took power in occupied Kherson, Ukrainian prosecutors, prosecutors in free Ukraine, have been trying to figure out what on earth is going on with this massive industry in the occupied area. A huge chunk of Ukraine's agricultural output is, is in that occupied area, in the south and east. 
And these prosecutors, they've opened these formal legal proceedings trying to outline what they've pieced together. And part of the picture of this is this brand new company that Saldo's occupational authorities set up. And this is the new Herson Grain Company, right? And its job is to take the grain that's farmed by Herson's farmers and sell it on. Sell it on to who? Exactly. Well, you may ask, this is where things start to get murky. Where are these tons and tons and tons of grain going? So what we've been able to piece together, this is like from company records, these legal filings, other bits of paperwork, talking to sources. From that, we get a glimpse inside what the Ukrainians say is a massive system of looting, looting the grain industry in the occupied territory. So that starts, it seems, with Saldo's new company, right? Saldo's Herson Grain Company. From there, the grain, tons and tons and tons, get sold on to a private company registered in Russia. Russia. Now, that company, it has these long connections with really big Russian business interests in the grain industry, the agriculture, commodities industry, and and those interests connect all the way up Putin's inner circle. Now, we contacted everyone we could, the people in that inner circle, the the companies, and everyone either just blanked us or didn't give straight answers to questions. So this remains a, a murky picture, but what is clear is that Saldo, he has an important role in the big business of the occupation. In in secretly selling Ukrainian grain through Russia. How big a business is that? Potentially, how lucrative is grain? Grain is massive in Ukraine. All over the world, they eat the products of Ukrainian grain. And one of the ways you can understand the sort of scale of that is that Russia is now reporting record harvests, right? But the agricultural experts, they look at that and it doesn't make sense. The jump in output doesn't seem to match the calculations of how much the various farming regions of Russia is putting out. And one explanation for that, advanced by people who really understand this stuff, is that actually a lot of the increase that's producing that record output is actually Ukrainian grain mm. that's being booked as Russian. When Saldo travels to Moscow for his big moments in the presence of Putin on national TV. What does he talk about and again and again? What a great harvest it's been. And we've tried to put all this again and again to Saldo himself, asking him to give us his account of his role in the grain industry. And he's never replied to us. He's never given us his version. Tom, listening to all this, one thing that strikes me is that these alleged schemes were all up and running within months of the Russians invading. And it makes me think that when the invasion started, Saldo was ready. He knew how the Russian regime thinks. He knew what they want. And he was there, ready to advance himself in this new system. Right, well, think back to that recording in 2016. This is the one where Saldo denies its authenticity, but it's been confirmed to us that it's his voice. 
And what he's talking about is his connections to the FSB, Putin's security agency. Now, in the second half of that recording, he goes a bit further. What he's saying there is what his curator, his handler, is telling him. And what the handler is saying, Saldo says, is that the main thing is to give us information about what's happening on the ground in Kherson, which is then still part of Ukraine. The handler wants to know the mood of the population, about any protests. And if something happens, Saldo says, let's say if the Russians decide to enter Kherson, to invade, they're going to need reliable people who are inclined towards what he says, the unification of the Slavic peoples. In other words, they're going to need collaborators. And this recording that's said to be Saldo's voice, he says, I even have a group of these people. So then if it seems like Saldo was ready, it might be because he was. He probably wouldn't have known when the day will come. But it certainly seems that when those Russian troops arrived in Ukraine, it wouldn't have been a surprise to him. And yeah, he would have been ready to capitalise on that. Coming up, two years since Russia's invasion. Where is Seldo now? And what does the future hold for the tens of thousands of Ukrainians still living under him? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by better help. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. So Tom, as of now, Kherson is still a region divided. 
on one side, the Western Bank, there's free Ukraine. On the other side, across the Dnipro River, a vast area still ruled by Vladimir Seldo under Russian occupation. What does the war look like right now? When I was in Kherson City late last year, that's on the, the liberated Western Bank, you get a feeling of, a, of people clinging on, often incredibly bravely. Every few minutes, there's an explosion. I mean, I was in Kherson City, and it's just boom, boom, boom. And sometimes it's a drone, sometimes it's a bomb, sometimes it's a shell, sometimes it's a tank round. And it's unceasing, day and night. That's the soundtrack of life in Hassan these days, that's the uh, air raid siren. And if it's not that, it's the sound of ordnance exploding. This is all coming from the Eastern Bank, right? All this fire is coming from the territory Saldo runs for the Russians. And it's all being fired at his old constituents trying to go about their daily lives, trying to buy socks and meat and a coffee and bring up their children under this endless barrage that kills pretty much one a day. If you wake up in liberated Kherson, you know that maybe today is your go or your child's or your friend's. Someone's going to die each day. So terrible. What about on the side that Seldo controls? What's life like for people living there? So I asked that same question of Andri, the public prosecutor who is putting together evidence of the great many war crimes that are being committed. Is Andre able to gather evidence of what's happening, still happening, on the left bank of war crimes that are happening right now yeah. on the left bank? I can say it generally. We proved that there are at least 18th of detaining centers, organized detaining centers on the left bank. Right. So we are uh, investigating illegal detaining people and torturing people on the left bank. And also uh, murders. What, what is it like to be a Ukrainian living under Saldo yeah, yeah. there now? So all that happened on the right bank, on occupied territory, it was just beginning of terrorist regime that is happening now on the left bank. So it's hard to get information from that side. Uh, it's very hard to be in direct communication with people because obviously that would endanger them. I think... It's pretty clear that the, the deep corruption of Saldo's regime when he was a Ukrainian politician, when he was operating under fully occupied Kherson, is very likely to have continued. It, it does seem to be a Stalinist regime. That's how one Ukrainian politician described it to me. You know, there are checks on everything. You can be picked up at any moment. There seems to be a certain pressure just to keep detentions going, almost like a kind of Soviet target was keep detaining people, keep interrogating people, keep the terror going. And also I was told about a culture of denunciation, right? A sort of Orwellian culture where you're rewarded for denouncing your friends and neighbours. And you start to get to a point where all trust in society breaks down and everything's just run on terror. 
realistic is it that Seldo might ever have to answer for the things he's done, for the things he's still doing? So Saldo's properties in Liberated Hesson, they've been confiscated and he's been convicted in absentia of treason. There have apparently been attempts on his life, but clearly he's very well protected. And in terms of, you know, conventional justice, I asked Andre, I said, all this evidence you're putting together, all this work, what's the point of it, ultimately? It, realistically, is there going to be a day in court? Does, uh, does Andre think there will ever be a day when Saldo is on trial? Yeah. When, when, when yeah. he sees justice? Will, will we see that one day, that, that Vladimir Saldo stands in a Ukrainian court? Yeah. Of course. Of course. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not believing that, I'm, I'm sure. Mm. But just as a lot of the Western reporting is about how one day Ukraine will be reunited, on Saldo's side of things, they're always waiting for Ukraine to be reunited, but in the opposite direction, once Russian rule completely overruns Ukraine at which point the rule of law, even in what remains of free Ukraine today, would collapse as well. And we've been hearing about his extraordinary story with all its twists and turns for three days now. Tom, what do you make of it all? What do you think the story of Seldo tells us at the end of the day? While I was in Ukraine, in her son on this frontline city, all the talk was how the war is at a stalemate. There's no sign of a big breakthrough militarily from either side. And indeed, you've got influential Westerners talking about striking a a deal with Putin along the lines of something that would hand over the occupied territories to him permanently. And that's what I found really chilling, actually. There are maybe four, five million Ukrainians living there in those occupied territories. And sure, some have Russian sympathies. And sure, there have been referendums, sham referendums, in which these areas have chosen to join Russia. But what's really happened is that millions of people have been moved from a country, a young democracy, corrupt as hell, deeply flawed, a corrupt judiciary too, but one that had the beginnings of the rule of law where anyone could seek protection from the powerful. They could seek the protection of the law. And now they live in occupied Ukraine under regimes like Vladimir Saldos. And there's no protection of the rule of law. It's hard, of course, to get the the full picture, every detail. But from everything we understand, if Saldos people want to take you from your room at night down to one of their basements and do whatever they want to you, they can. If they want to steal your farm... If they want to take your children away, they can do that. And that's what's changed for those millions of Ukrainians. Mm. So when we talk about negotiating with, with Vladimir Putin, giving him parts of Ukraine, it's worth knowing this is the kind of fate that we're handing to potentially millions of Ukrainians. This is where Saldo's story tells us so much, I think. He's a man who was on the verge of a criminal investigation for ordering a hit against a rival. 
Now he runs the lives of a great many Ukrainians. He is the embodiment of Vladimir Putin's gangster state and how it's spreading westwards over parts of the world that used to be free. And that was Tom Burgess, an investigations correspondent for The Guardian. Tom has a new book out. It's called Cuckoo Land, Where the Rich Own the Truth. It's available later this week and it's out wherever good books are sold. This series was based on his reporting and you can find a written piece on Vladimir Seldo and all of Tom's work at theguardian.com. Before we go, tomorrow we're launching a new series I've been working on for the last six months. It's called Black Box and... It's about this unique moment we're living through when AI is making its first contact with humanity and lots of weird things are happening. We unravel the mystery of this technology and the people using it for good and evil. The first episode is out tomorrow. It's called Black Box and you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Finally, if you found this series over the past three days valuable, then consider leaving a rating or a review wherever you listen to today in focus. We'd really appreciate it and it helps new listeners find the podcast. And that is it for today. This series was produced by Sammy Kent. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we're back with Today in Focus as usual tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.